Hi, and welcome to Time Out Coaching with Coach Tony Garbolotto. I want to do a special podcast today um, in recognition of International Women's Day. Uh, we've had some fantastic uh, British women's coaches on the podcast, both in Pick and Pop and also the Time Out um, series. Um, but I want to go back to one of the first bit, uh, uh, podcasts I've done on the Pick and Pop podcast that maybe some of the listeners and viewers did not see, and that is with Coach Donna Finney. She is the only British coach as, uh, that is a head coach in NCAA Division One in America. Uh, it's a fantastic podcast. I hope you really enjoy it. And without further ado, let's get to Coach Donna Finney. Thanks for having me, Tony. I'm excited to chat today and talk a little bit about how I got over here and then also, you know, just about our program a little bit too. That, that's great. Coach, so first of all, um, let's talk about your introduction to the game of basketball. Um, obviously, um, you're from Scotland, um, but and there's a rich history of basketball in Scotland. And But, you know, how did you get involved in the game um, and what was that path that you took I, I actually didn't play basketball till I was in my first year at high school. Um, I had played the dreaded netball before that. And, uh, you know, I, I kind of got frustrated with netball because I was stuck as a goal shooter and I would get frustrated with our defense because I couldn't be down the other end. And I found myself yelling at them and I just, I didn't like it very much, you know, but I knew that I wanted to play a team sport and I had been doing track as well and um, swimming a lot. And I got to high school and luckily my PE teacher at high school had played for um, basketball for Scotland and also volleyball for Scotland. And he saw me the first week and you know, I was 5'11 in first year. So he was like yelling at me to come to basketball tryouts and I'd never played. Sure. Um, and then I went from there. So I was really, really lucky that he was in our PE department because I think had he not asked me to go along to that, I don't know I would be sitting here today. Um, That's that's oh. always, always the case, you know, that yeah. one. And I think, yeah, we forget about the PE teachers a lot in the basketball journey because, you know, people talk a lot about their club coach and their national team coach, etc. But a lot of the time it's the PE teachers that initiate that introduction to basketball. Mm. Um, and I was really lucky that I had Ronnie Hamilton and Kate Johnson, who were both very, very involved with basketball at my high school. Um, and they kind of looped me into it at a very early age and were very encouraging throughout my whole, and I still stay in touch with both of them now, actually. So, awesome. um, yeah, lucky and, to have them. And from school, did you, did you go into a club? What was the, the next stage from there? Yeah, so there was a, a women's club based at our school that Kate Johnson actually played with and her husband, Ken, who worked for, he was at Basketball Scotland at the time, right. he was the coach. And I remember I was, I think I was 13 the first session I went to and everybody else was in their like late 20s, late 30s. And I walk in like scared to death, you know, as a 13 year old. Um, but they were really great with me. Um, and at the time they were playing like in a local league and quite quickly, I realized I wanted to take it a little bit more seriously and I ended up um, transferring to play for a national league team. Um, and it was really there that kind of, that was what made me realize I really wanted to pursue basketball because I felt, I felt like the coaching that I got there and the teammates that I had were, were going to be able to, you know, help me develop. Um, 
And I really think that what I learned there with that particular coach is both as a player and a coach has helped me so, so much even to this day. And who was that coach there? What was the club? The club? Uh, um, so um, it was Team Caledonia that we were called at the time. And, um, and it was Dave Patterson that was the coach. And Dave had played for, for Scotland and was heavily involved. And um, I remember as a player, and I, t I tell him this, I still talk to Dave all the time. And I, I tell him this, like, you know, I thought he was crazy. You know, and a lot of players think their coaches are crazy. But I really thought Dave was nuts, you know, because he was in our face the whole time and as a young girl I felt like you know god he's getting on me so much but I wouldn't take that back because he yes he was getting on me but as he said like he saw that I could do it and he was pushing me to be the best I could be and um, and I really appreciate him doing that because I would never have had the courage to you know leave the UK and come over here and play and do the things that I've done if he hadn't instilled that in me at a really young age so from there, you you did go to America for, for what? For uh, to high school to college? No, I went to college. I actually went to Lamar University, which is in our league, which is kind of funny going back there. Um, and again, just like luck, really. I feel like a lot of my journey, I've been very lucky to be in the right time, at, the right place at the right time. Sorry, um, I was playing in the four countries in Doncaster, and um, we were playing. I think we had a, we had a pretty good team that year and I remember you know I had a pretty decent tournament and after the tournament I got a phone call I guess the the coaches from Lamar had been at the tournament and was recruiting an English girl and ended up offering me and a couple of other girls and in fact my roommate was on the Irish team that we played against wow. so um we had eight international girls on our team at Lamar that year um, and it was a great experience for me and I loved every second of it but I could tell you stories that would take this whole hour up about that. So. Well. <laughs> but it didn't, it didn't work out for us at Lamar. And, and that's kind of where my story takes a little twist because I didn't, I came back after the end of my sophomore year because of some issues that we had um, with NCA violations and some coaching issues, et cetera. And um, pretty much the whole team um, left. There was only a couple of them stayed. Um, and so it didn't work out for me. And I always felt, I loved being in Texas. Like I, I just had this affiliation with Texas. I loved it, I loved the people. And when I got home, I just always kind of felt like I'd end up back in Texas. And I don't know how it happened, but it did, so. It did, yeah. yeah, no, it's, uh, and we got a, a big part of this journey. So um, from coming back from Lamar, what was the next and, and where was this, uh, was there any time while, when you were playing college basketball that you thought, um, that you know you really felt an affinity to coaching or that there was something there that you wanted to push in the future or was that when you came back into Scotland that you you started to really feel for, for the coaching side? Yeah I think it really started there honestly because I you know and and I, as a coach now I don't want to talk badly about coaches but you learn a lot from what not to do from playing for other coaches and also being around coaches and we had a really, really good assistant coach at Lamar, um, Coach Sandy. She was awesome. And I really appreciated the time that she took with me as a foreign player, you know, to make sure I was okay and um, that I was settling in and things. And if I had any questions, I knew I could always go to her. And I just felt like 
her personality and her, the way that she interacted with the players was just so great. And I, I appreciated her so much during that time, especially at the end of that year when we were having problems, you know, with NCA, et cetera. And it was, we needed her a lot and she was there for us and that was great. And, and I thought like, that's, you know, that's something maybe I can see myself doing. And um, when I came back, I finished my degree um, at Harriet Watt University and I'm going to talk to you about that in a minute when we talk about philosophy. Okay. I was very interested to yeah. know, you know, what you majored in. And that, that was, a, I, I want to know how that has a relevance to your coaching. But let's, let's just continue with you. You finished your degree and, and then. Yeah. And, I, and do you, like, it's funny because when I think back, I spent a lot of time uh, when I was in college back home working with our basketball development officer in Edinburgh and I was running camps for her and I was doing coaching like I started um like becoming a tutor for Basketball Scotland to deliver you know basic entry-level courses and um I was very very involved even as a student like so as I was about to graduate I knew that I wanted to work in basketball that was like my goal and I can't tell you how many times my mom said to me basketball is not going to be your career you're not going to make any money at basketball like go and do something because before I'd even got to that stage like when I, when I was coming out of high school um I had thought about doing law um and I, I was either looking at law or journalism that was my two things that I'd kind of thought about and uh it was really strange at the last minute I just had this pull to sports science and it was just completely out of the blue <laughs> I hadn't yeah. thought about it really um, and I was very very lucky I think that I was in the first group of people in that sports science degree that Harry Watt put together and I had a great class great classmates that were a lot of um, elite level performers in sport that were in our class um, and it was I think that was something that really really helped me and and, I, and again I've pulled a lot of things from that experience for sure and um so going did you go straight from from university into Basel Scotland as a development officer or what what how was that how did that work um almost so I, I worked for them for six months in the office like doing administrative work um with the hope that if a basketball development position opened up I'd done enough to then get it and then that happened I got the Edinburgh development position about six months I think it was after after that so it can again just things happen and I've been very lucky um, that those doors have opened but um, yeah so I, I, I worked for them and, and I learned a lot in the office you know just how things work nationally um, from an administrative level um, and then got into the basketball development job which I was in for you know several years before obviously coming over here. Yeah and at that time um, you're a development officer, you're, you're coaching, you're tutoring, um, at, who are you are you starting to really realize that, you know, coaching is where you want to go? And if so, who was, who was mentoring you? Who are you, you know, going to on a regular basis to, you know, upscale knowledge and try to get better? Yeah. I mean, I was lucky because I, when I first got involved, I was doing club coaching with city of Edinburgh um, for a couple of years. Um, and I really, really enjoyed that. And I had an assistant coach, Stuart Gillis, who played, um, you know national team level and was very experienced and his daughter was in the program and we got him involved as an assistant and it was just good kind of you know having him to lean on with his experiences um, and he definitely helped me a lot 
And then I got asked to get involved with the national teams, with the under 16 national team, because they needed a female. Uh, and um, Arthur McGuire was the head coach at that time. And he was based in Dundee and very experienced coach. Um, and I got involved with him. And I think with Arthur, the biggest thing that I learned was, you know, the player development part of it, the fundamentals. His, he was, had a huge focus on that. Um, and, and I really learned a lot from him in that respect, you know, and try and how to kind of balance that with your practice schedules, like planning practice schedules and making sure you don't forget the player development side of things. Um, so he was, you know, key for me in my first few years, but, um, the two that I've kind of gone to consistently, um, have been Dave Patterson, my former coach, and then Ian Gordon and Ian's been to this day, you know, I can call Ian at any point in time and, um, you know, he watches a lot of our games. He watches our live stream games and then he always sends me little comments afterwards, you know, about what he thinks about the games. Um, and Ian's obviously got experiences, you know, it, yeah. And, and just, you know, has been so, so supportive to me all through my journey in coaching. And, um, you know, I had the unfortunate pleasure of playing against him as a player and <laughs> remember him in the sideline, you know, going red in the face, screaming at his players and, but he's just so intense and I learned a lot about, you know, being able to push your players that hard, but have that relationship with them that you can do that. And that's something that he does really, really well. And, and I've leaned a lot on him. Um, I remember calling him when we were in the European championships in Luxembourg and I had three kids end up in hospital the day before the final. Wow. Um, and I was panicking, like, well, you know, what the heck are we going to do? Um, and I remember the conversation with him and he said, well, you know, you, you've got your core kids still and you've got to just stick with what you were doing. And um, I had kind of saved a couple of things up my sleeve for that final because I knew that's where we were probably going to be playing. And he's like, you got to use them now, you know, and he just kind of a lot of things that I was feeling. He verbalized and made me feel confident that I was doing the right thing. And, and yeah. you know, he's been there for me a lot throughout my whole coaching career. So. I'm lucky to still have him on my, my cell phone. So, I mean, that's, that's a good thing, you know, like most of us, uh, we've all got these kind of, uh, you know, big influences in our life, whether they start at a very early age or, you know, where, wherever they come in the spectrum of our coaching careers. But, um, and those are really super important people. But at this time, um, I mean, you're, you know, there's not a professional game in Scotland, uh, especially for the, for the women's side. Um, there's, you know, uh, national team stuff is great. You know, it's aspirational. Um, but again, um, you know, it's done, you know, on a budget basis. We all have to accept right, that. Right. And, um, you know, so where was this kind of drive for you, a focus that, you know, you either wanted to coach at a higher level or you wanted to get to America. What, what, where was this coming from? Or has this been always, you know, something that you really wanted to do? It wasn't, honestly, it wasn't something that I always wanted to do. It wasn't. Um, it kind of grew as I got, you know, further and further into my coaching career. Um, and I, I remember having a kind of argument stroke discussion, I guess you could call with Basketball Scotland because we'd been going to the C division of the Euros and, you know, we'd won it a couple of years uh, uh, with the under-16 and the under-18 team. And 
Like as a player, I'm not going to improve if I'm playing teams I'm beating by 50, 60 points. Like yeah. I'm not going to get any better. I'm not going to be able to push myself. And honestly, at that point, I was trying to give our girls, our players, the opportunities that I got to play overseas. And so through contacts that I still had, I was trying to link them up with colleges here, like to have opportunities to play. And I knew that coaches here are not going to want to watch us play against some of these Division C teams and win by 60 points. Absolutely, yeah. Because how are they going to see how they would do against better athletes over here? So I kind of remember begging us, can we please go to the B division? Like, I really want to take this team. And I had a really, really strong group of, ki of kids at that point and kind of won the argument that this was the team to do it with and kind of go back to that B division level. Um, as always, fundraising was the issue, right? Because we didn't sure. have the budget. And it was like, well, you don't have the budget. And I said, we'll make it work. Like, we're going to do this. And, and we did. And I had great parents with that group that really bought into the, the thought process and the plan. Um, and, and it was, you know, yeah, it was a rude awakening going to like playing. I remember we went one year and played against Belgium and Latvia who'd just been, you know, come down from the A division and should have been in the A division. And it was like, whew, you know, like yeah, sure. smacked in the face, but, but you get better because of it and you get better as a player. And I got better as a coach because of the experiences that I got at the B division level. And after doing it for a few years, I got offered a couple of positions over here and I turned them down because I felt like I couldn't leave the players there. I had a group of players. I was like, I don't want to leave them. Like, I don't, you know, you know, this is a huge commitment, as you know, coaching national teams, you're not getting paid for it really. You're kind of doing it because you love the game and you love the, the program and trying to help the players. And I, I, I kind of just, I turned it down. And then I got to the stage with my last group that I was like, we, we're not going to go to the A division with this, with any group really, because we don't have the numbers of kids playing and the, the support to be able to do that. So what's my next step? You know, like as a coach, I've turned down a couple of assistant positions already. If something else opens up, then I really need to think about it. And it was the right time in my life. And I remember getting the phone call and I was sat in my, my flat with my friends we were on a Saturday night, drinking a bottle of wine as you do. And, uh, you know, I got the phone call um, from a coach that I had been connecting with on some of our national team players who'd been in the Ivy League. And she said, hey, I just got a head coach job in Houston. I know you've got connections there. I've told you I'd like you to come work with me when, you know, if I get a head coach job, what do you think? And I just, I didn't even think twice, honestly. I didn't, I did not know much about HBU. I really didn't. Um, so I spent that night researching and asking questions and calling friends over here and, you know, and it was like, this is, it just felt right. It felt like this was the right move for me this time. Um, and I'm still here 10 years later. Yeah, so. That's unbelievable. Just um, really quickly. Uh, so that would have been um, just the years leading up to this decision. Um, were you going to America in the summer um, to work camp or uh, to, to do any kind of like, you know, uh, catch up with coaches? How, how, yeah. were you, how were you, what were you doing there? So I, yeah, I was. Um, so a former teammate of mine at Lamar, um, from Australia, she uh, was coaching at TCU in uh, Fort Worth um, and introduced me to her associate head coach there. And he's kind of been a big influence since I moved here, more so. Like he, the last 10 years, I've, in fact, I talked to him last night. Um, you know, he's been a great influence and support for me here. And I think everybody in Texas knows him. And he's one of these coaches that everybody knows here. Sure. Um, but he was at TCU's associate head coach. And uh, 
you know, both of them said, look, if you want to come work camps and things, you know, you can bring kids over with you if you want, you know, and whatever. So I, I actually brought a couple of teams over, national teams, and we played in AAU tournaments here to get them exposure. And then I would work TCU camps, you know, several summers in a row. Um, it was a great way for me to make connections with high school coaches here as well that were working the camp. And then also to develop that relationship with Coach Middy and Coach Tidwell and his staff there. Um, and then, uh, yeah, it just kind of like, I, I also was lucky that through Basketball Scotland, really, um, that I had an opportunity to connect with Skip Prosser um, at, our, at our camps sure. that we used to run and he would come. Right. Again, like just, it seems crazy how things happen for me, but they do. But I was in the airport in Shannon Airport of all places in the duty free, just wasting time, you know, and we'd come back from playing, I think it was the four countries in Ireland. And uh, I hear someone say, coach, what are you doing in here? And I turned around and Skip and his wife had been playing golf and were waiting to fly back. And, you know, he came up and cause we just finished a camp a few months before that. So he, you know, had come over and talked and then we just kind of stayed in touch. And he said to me, look, if you want, I, I can help you out by, you know, getting in touch with the, the women's coaches and, he basically set up a kind of tour for me almost at uh, Wake Forest, Duke, North Carolina. Um, and I went and watched practices and, and he set everything up for me. Um, oh. And so I was like, I'm doing this. And at that point I was like, I'm, I bought a ticket and I went over and I watched practices and I connected with the then coach Mike Peterson at Wake about one of our post players um, on our team. And they started to recruit her. And, um, it was, it was really good for me, like really, really good. And I got to watch, um, some of the men's practices too. And, um, you know, just making those connections and, uh, that have helped me still, you know, um, Absolutely. just, you know, just some really good people in my early years of coaching that have really helped me, um, and given me opportunities. So now you get on a plane, you go to, uh, to Houston as, uh, as an assistant coach. Um, are you at this time, do you have like a, what's, what's the early philosophy, you know, points for you as a, as a coach? Are you um, like really, you know, pinning yourself to some stuff like defense or, you know, conditioning? What, what, what were some of the main areas that you were like uh, – believing in and then ultimately you start changing them along your along your way yeah I mean I, I definitely a big um post player advocate you know I was like the the traditional kind of like back to the basket post stuff like always looking to duck people in um using our post a ton I liked playing with two posts which now doesn't happen you know and mm -hmm. um, but so that <laughs> I early don't on, I don't know if there's any poster anymore right <laughs> right so that was a big thing for me and it had worked well with our national teams, you know, so that was kind of a thing. I was like, Oh yeah, like we've got to have these post players. And you know, that early on, that was definitely, you know, big for me because it had worked and it was like, I believed in it. Um, but my philosophy is very different now. Sure. Um, and a lot of that is because, you know, the game has changed a lot in the last 10 years, no doubt. So let's just quickly, let me just quickly ask, um, you know, talking about your majoring in sports science, mm -hmm. did that mean that, you know, you were, you were quite, you know, uh, focused on, on conditioning, um, you know, how the athlete prepared, 
you know, some of the early sports science stuff, I'm going to say early sports science, but even 10, 12 years ago, yeah. you know, that was, uh, you know, it, although basketball, I feel, was always led in athletic development of, uh, of, of any, you know, type of athletic performance. But, but at, yeah. at the same time, you know, were you, were you fit? Were you, were you slightly ahead of the game in that respect? Or how, how were you? Well, it's funny because I, I did put a focus on conditioning and I got a lot of pushback from the club. So when I had our national team sessions, um, I pushed our kids much harder than they'd ever been pushed. But it was, it was based on sports science. It was like, this is what you need in order to be able to do this, this and this. And um, I got a lot of pushback. Uh, and it was hard, you know, because you want to have a good relationship with the club coaches. Um, you know, they're with their clubs way more than they're with us as national team coaches. Um, but at the same time, if they're going to progress and they're going to improve as players, they have to be in shape to do some of the things you're asking them to do. Um, and I was lucky because I, with Basketball Scotland, I was um, appointed as the 2012 coordinator. And this was in, I think, 2009, I started that, maybe late 2008, um, identifying, you know, talent you know, talented kids, boys and girls, um, that potentially had, you know, we could get on the Olympic program with the Institute of Sport. And so I was also able to work with the Institute of Sport um, and work with athlete planning with them. And that was a holistic view. So, um, you know, time management, um, nutrition. Yeah, absolutely. Psychology. Everything. Yeah. yeah, everything. And, and so for the, the players on that program, they got all that support from the Institute. And for me, that was great because I was able to kind of tap into that for our national team as well um and having my background in sports science it was something that i particularly was interested in and and i was passionate about um but convincing people that have only done something one way um yeah, something new is difficult you know yeah. um so it, it was challenging but the girls bought into it and i had multiple girls on that team come over here and play d1 and d2 um you know and that first group that we kind of went to division b with um and they were in great shape. They were strong enough. You know, I mean, that was when we really tried to kind of push the weight room a bit more, which wasn't, you know, it hasn't been a thing. Absolutely. I always uh, actually, personally, actually thought, you know what, I, I could really, really be world class if I was in the women's game, you know, 10 or 15 years ago. I think now, um, I mean, I just go to the local health club and you can see what has changed. I'm seeing um, ladies in their mid forties, you know, deadlifting, um, doing all kinds of CrossFit stuff, which is like, you would never have seen that 10 years ago. So now I genuinely believe that um, the girls, even from a younger age are, you know, in really good condition and stuff. But back then, I think that you could really have had some massive gains if you, if you push that line. I mean, I think about some of the players that I had at that time, that if they had had that support earlier, where they could have, you know, I mean, Mary Buckin was one that, you know, played with in that first year of B group with me that ended up at Old Dominion. Um, and she, had she gotten that maybe two years before, I wonder where she could have been, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, I mean, and that was great. They, when she signed there, they were a top 10 program nationally, but, you know, I mean, it, I just, I do think that there, we had some good athletes, Becca Allison, who's my assistant coach here now, great athlete. Um, but, you know, if she'd had that support earlier, where could she, she went to Old Dominion also, but where could she have gone? Because she's lightning quick and, you know, was able to do some things that no other kid I'd had over there could do. So, it, you know, yeah, I think 
had we pushed that a little earlier, we may have seen players going higher than we did. Now, you get on a plane, you go to Houston, you're the assistant coach. Talk to me about how you are feeling going into that job and more so as this you know, young British Scottish coach, you know, who, you know, there's no history for any, you know, even in the men's game, there's almost no history for someone to put, to be coaching at this level. Were you apprehensive or because you've been through that process? I mean, what, what, what were you feeling at this time? Um, or you just went for it? <laughs> yeah, I kind of did just go for it. Like, I wasn't nervous. I wasn't, the hardest thing was leaving my family and friends, you know, like that was definitely the hardest. And for the first few years, it was hard when I went home and I had to leave them again and then come back. That was really tough. But kind of now it's like, you know, I'm, I'm used to it. So <laughs> this is home now. But um, I think when I got here and I realized that I was going to be allowed to recruit international players, like I, I was a recruiting coordinator at that point and um, was given kind of like, she told me like, I need you to go and get players that are going to help us. And I don't care where they're from. So I was able to go and get, you know, I had an English kid, I had German kids, you know, and, you know, we had kids from all over and, and, and that was kind of because I've been in their shoes. It was nice because, you know, I understood them and I was able to get them in here and, you know, I, I think that helped me. It helped me settle in a little bit as well. Yeah. yeah. And what, in, in these years as the assistant coach, we, um, what were you developing as a coach? Were you getting uh, more reps on court, you know, in certain areas that you hadn't worked with before? What were you learning? What did you think you could, you know, do better? What, what, were, what, was, what were all these thoughts at this time? I, I, I knew at that point I needed to be a better practice coach. You know, I, I, I thought, and I still think that, you know, I'm very much, I see a lot in games and I can make adjustments in games and I see, you know, that part of it. But I, I knew that, you know, I needed to get better in terms of planning practices and um, ensuring that I got that balance of, you know, player development and team. Uh, and I think that was really good for me those three years. You know, I think Mary, who was the coach here previous, she did a really good job um, of focusing on individual work and um you know we had very different philosophies I and mean, that was that was honestly i mean and i bought into it because i saw it working but um at first you know i hadn't really run the system she was running and so it was kind of like why are we doing this and you know i didn't really because i hadn't done it before i was kind of like, i didn't believe in it but once i saw it being put into action on the floor and you know I was like, okay, I can see why we're doing this now. And um, one thing that I remember from from Dave years and years ago, I remember him even when I was 15, 16 years old, he would always tell me like, if I say, well, why are we doing this? You know, I'd always ask questions as a player. Why are we doing this? And he'd say, well, you know, offensively, I want to play to our strengths. And last year, we didn't have anyone that could duck in in the post like that on the block and finish. We do now. So I want to make sure we've got something that we can – put you and Jane in that position that you can duck in and we were able to space the floor and get you the ball. And I've, it's always stuck with me, like play to your strengths, you know, like your team's going to change every year. Um, and at college we get to choose who's on our team, but 
interesting that, that so that's starting to touch a little bit on your philosophy so um of course you know as coaches we can um i mean there are a number of ways we can go but there are in my view there are two main ways as a coach we can we can do exactly what you're talking about we can you know fit uh uh, philosophy to the strengths of the players to you know changing year on year if you have um, player turnover or you can be you know like a, a, a Jim Boheim we're going yeah. to play zone it doesn't matter what players now he has always had the luxury of recruiting players to that system but still when you go there you know you're not playing man-to-man defense and so you know exactly so so where, where where were you at this moment were you 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 that was in the back of your mind that i'm gonna i'm gonna change i'm gonna be very flexible as a coach is that how is that is that what you were thinking in the back of your mind yeah for sure and then also because you know like the, the longer i was here um the more i realized the different levels within division one you know because everybody just sees d1 and they think that you know, well, you're playing D1, that's great. But there's so many different levels of Division One basketball. Yeah. And, you know, like, realistically, I knew where we were at. And so while I would love to say we're going to go and get this style of player, that's not always going to happen at our level. If you're at UConn or Notre Dame or, you know, you can go and you can handpick those players. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we have to be flexible as coaches and we have to understand, you know, that our recruiting is a little bit different. And we have to cast a wider net. And so we've got to be looking for like the, the overall fit. And, and then you have to think about the school that you're at as well. Um, because for me, I've been like this since day one. Like I want our players to understand that I'll do anything for them. Like I want them to, to trust me and I want them to understand that I've got their back. And in, in the same respect, I want them to do that for me. So I want them to be here for four years. Right, exactly. The way that things are now, um, and I just had a conversation yesterday about this, but the way things are, are now in the NBA and with the transfer portal here, you're seeing so many people change teams consistently. Wow. So, I mean, uh, we could talk about a little bit about that, but, uh, you know, I, I mean, I'm not involved with younger players now as much, um, but there's no doubt in my mind that, uh, they certainly have, you know, they're, 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 they're less, they're less uh, emotionally strong. Um, you know, they, they definitely, you know, don't take criticism, you know, like well, they, what we would call coaching. And then, you know, when, when things don't go well for them in a program such as yours, they, they take the easy option instead of deciding over a summer that I'm going to really work and then I'm going to come back better. They just say, look, you know, it's coach's fault. So I'm going to move on. I'm going to find a different program and, uh, very disappointed in a lot of kids, especially, you know the the British kids who you know yeah. don't you know they 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 aren't you know innately involved in in basketball from America so they they should just be really deciding hey I've got here I'm going to work and just just play my role. But, yeah, and I think a big part of that, Tony, is that um, some kids are getting really bad advice. Uh, you know whether it's because and and not necessarily on purpose, but you know they're getting told that. Um, oh, this school is better than this school because they play in, a, you know, their higher level as such. But maybe, you know, that particular player doesn't need to be going to that level because they're never going to hit the floor. You know, like it's, it's, it's tough now because a lot of people are recruiting international players for various reasons. And, um, you know, I think kids have to be smart and pick the place that 
one really wants them like that's important like do, do this club really want you um and see you as a big part of their team down the line sure and two this is the part that I think gets missed out a ton um, and is, am I going to fit socially on this campus and in this place? You know, and we have eight international players on our team this year. And part of the reason that our international kids like it here so much is because we only have about 4,000 students on campus. So it's not huge, but we're in this massive city that has every single thing you can imagine to yeah, do. Yeah. And we're really close to the beach. Yeah. And so, they have everything they, like socially they have everything on their doorstep and they because we're a little bit smaller they can get to know people quickly on campus and develop relationships quicker and i think that a lot of kids overlook that part of it when they're making the decision yes it should be about basketball that's your you know that's why you're coming over here but you have to be happy in every way and understand this is going to be your life for four years and if you're bored because there's nothing to do where you are or you know a lot of kids, I mean, I've talked to a couple of kids from the UK that have picked schools in the north and then, you know, that I had recruited previously and then they've got in touch with me a year later and said like, oh God, it's so cold up here. I hate it. Well, I mean, I, you know, yeah. it's stuff like that that they don't think about. And I think that's really, really important in the process. Like it's not just about who has the biggest gym, who's, who's sponsored by Nike or Under Armour, like, you know, all that stuff like that doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, and, and they have to think about what their goals are individually too. Like if they want to play for the national team, is that program going to support you in coming back and play, play in the European Championships? Absolutely. That kind of thing. You know, yeah. and that gets lost Absolutely. a lot. I mean, you know, long term. I mean, I've, I've been a big advocate with younger players that um, they need to think about some of those things. You know, like where is, does, does the program have a history of developing players and, and right. getting them to the next level? If that's your goal to be a professional basketball player, versus you know, I I, I had a, a player called Eugene Barr. He actually wasn't my my own junior player, um, but he was from Brixton. And Eugene went to Princeton, and he went to Princeton because you know he wanted to be have a four year degree from 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 Princeton. And now right. he works in finance in New York City. Yeah. After he played yeah. for me for one year at Birmingham um, professionally and in Europe and he played some other places as well but ultimately a four-year degree from Princeton is going to get you a job of a high-level job somewhere in America if that was your goal so these are like you said you know and the correct advice needs to be given yeah absolutely and it's different for every person I think that's what get lost gets lost too like there's no generic advice here it's like it's going to be different for every player because like Eugene, you know, he wanted to work in the States and, and knew that, you know, a degree from Princeton would help, you know, some others don't like we've got girls that, you know, know that they want to go back to Germany or Luxembourg or wherever they're from and work. And so we work with them. Okay, what do you need academically then? Like what, you know, when you leave here, what do you need to get into your grad school there so that they've got that in place? Um, and I think there's so many aspects to this. And I think a lot of it is just people don't know. Yeah. Um, you know and, and it's sad like I say some people are getting bad advice and I don't always think it's because people mean it it's just they don't understand the system okay so you you you're assistant for three years is that correct mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and you know then you you get offered how, how explain the process of how you were offered their coach's position and did you feel at that time 
you were ready to be a, a head coach or it was something that was given as a, as a, as a, as just a, as opportunity and you just had to take it. So I actually had already started looking at other positions um, there was a head coach position at a D2 school that had come open and um, the AD there had called me and had a conversation with me. And I kind of said, this was like close to the end of the season. And I thought, okay, I don't want to do anything right now. Cause I, you know, I wanted to wait and talk to our head coach at the end of the season and tell her that, you know, I, I may interview for this position. Um, and then um, it was kind of, I think it was like April that the AD, you know, came and talked to me and said, listen, you know, um, the position is open and we want to offer it to you before we do anything else. Um, so what do you think? And I was like, honestly shocked because in my mind I felt like I was ready to move on to a head coaching position maybe at a lower level but like you know I just felt like that was my next move and I had no clue that this was going to happen and so it was like oh I I remember sitting there like do you need an answer right now because I can't give you an answer right now you know um and leaving that meeting with him thinking did that just happen like you know how does how does that happen and he had said to me like you know you've got great relationships with everyone on campus the players really want you to stay um and that's important for us that we retain the players that you've because basically i had recruited all of those players you know um and he said like because i remember him saying to me probably about a year in that um you know, he said it would have been interesting if you'd applied for the job in the first place because you had a lot of head coach experience. And I think I really value, I really truly do. And, I, and, and it frustrates me when I talk to national team coaches from overseas that haven't had the chances that I've had. But I really, really value what I went through with Basketball Scotland. Mm-hmm. Every aspect of, you know, the national team program, the basketball development stuff, like that has helped me in so many ways as a head coach. Um, in managing people and managing a budget and planning and periodization and just, you know, working with a strength coach, you know, ha- obviously here we have way more <laughs> um, resources than I had back home, but you know, it, it, it definitely helped me. I mean, I remember saying to the ED when I accepted the job, I was like, but this is, I was like, I, this is different. I was kind of like freaking out, you know? And he was like, wait, you already do all this stuff. You've done all this stuff. And I'm like, yeah, okay, you're right. You know, like it was just a, a kind of, is this happening moment? You know, like, is this really happening? Um, so, and I went out recruiting, I think it was like late April. And uh, it was like, wow, this is, I actually now I'm, I have to make a final decision on everything, you know? So but I was really grateful for the three years I had. And, you know, I learned a lot in those three years and, and I love this school. I love the people here. It's, uh, you know, sometimes, sometimes it can be frustrating because, you know, again, I talk about the levels of D1, like maybe we don't have as much as some other D1 schools have, but the support here at the school and, and the people are just fantastic. And I love living in Houston. So this is a great situation for me. So, uh, yeah, you turn, you know, you really have great success at the start and you, you're building now. Um, what are you, 
what lessons that you learn in this, you know, early on and you start, you know, realizing that you've made some mistakes or, and philosophically, do you, are you changing, you know, now what, what's, what, what are you, what, what's this seven years being this journey, that part of the journey? I think, uh, definitely changed in my recruiting philosophy. I think that's changed a lot. There, I made some mistakes. Um, I, I remember two, th two things I think I made mistakes in. Uh, one was early on, I wanted to give my assistants a voice. Like I had a great staff and I wanted to give them a voice. And I remember one player um, that they loved and I just wasn't feeling it. You know, I was just, and I watched her all summer and I was like, I, there was just something that, you know, but she played pretty well in the summer and, and I could see where she could fit in. And so they, they felt so passionate about her that I was like, okay, you know, like she, we need that position. You guys, you know, I, I, I'm outnumbered here and, but I should have trusted my gut. Let's just say I should have trusted my gut on that one. It didn't work out. Um, and I think that's something I learned. Like I do have to trust my gut because I have been pretty good with that stuff and like my intuition, I need to, I need to listen to it more. Um, and then I think just like recognizing uh, parental involvement that's been something that has changed a lot over the years, you know, like um, paying more attention during the recruiting process to that because, you know, we have had some issues. Um, I, I think everybody deals with that now at the collegiate level. And um, yeah. you know, for, in my mind, it's kind of like, I can't really wrap my head around that coming from the UK where you have to pay to play basketball yeah. or you're getting a scholarship given to you and, you know, everything's getting taken care of and, I can't understand how parents are as involved, you know, as they are. Um, but that's part of the game here now. Yeah. So, you know, just learning to kind of pay more attention to that stuff during the recruiting process has helped. Um, because again, there was a couple of things that overlooked early on that were red flags that I kind of thought, ah, it'll be okay. But it wasn't. <laughs> um, so, you know, just that kind of thing from a recruiting perspective. And then from a coaching perspective, um, you know, kind of moving away from that, that old style two post offense. And um, I mean, I, I'm big on pushing the ball. Like we love running the floor. Um, and uh, it's funny because, you know, we're running a lot more ball screen offense than I've ever run. Um, because we have the personnel now that, you know, it works for, but we've really, really struggled the last three years. And I've found it really hard as a coach because we've had an, and this is not, I don't want this to sound like an excuse because it's not. Um, but, you know, on average, we've had about seven, seven or eight max players available um, for practice the last three years because of injuries. And it's been, it's been so challenging as a coach because I've, I really genuinely thought we had all the pieces. It's like, you know, like you think you've got all the pieces to do well and you can't get them all on the floor at the same time. Last year was probably the most frustrating, you know. Do you, as a coach, do you um, constantly review with your staff and think about why those players are getting injured? Um, you know, what are the processes? Can you change some processes? What, what you know, especially given the fact that you've got um, such a, you know, a good basketball situation there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, like, I'm I'm a big advocate. Like, we don't practice any longer than two hours. That's our maximum practice time. Um, 
I, I just, that's something I've always kind of, you know, and again, that changed because when I was younger, I was like, we'll be in the gym as long as we need to be in the gym, you know? Um, but now two hours is our max practice time. And we're very conscious about planning our sessions and, and periodization, I think more so than ever. But um, we've had mm -hmm. a, a big turnover in the weight room. And wow. I think yeah. that, that is something that, you know, we've kind of looked at. And actually we were supposed to bring in um, a company this year um, who were going to really overhaul everything that we did and look at the reasons why we had these injuries and, um, you know, individualized programs a little bit more. Um, and that hasn't happened because of COVID, unfortunately, because yeah. we can't do the in-person stuff that we were going to do. Um, but that's something that we have been looking at. And um, do, Are you using any kind of load management um, kind of software with or integrated with, with, the, with strength and conditioning, sports science? Yeah, we were last year, and we're actually looking at changing our supplier um, at the moment because... Um, the problem we've got right now, and I'm sure this is the case with a lot of programs, is that every day our players are having to fill out questionnaires on COVID. At, like they get the email every morning. So before they even come into the gym, they have to fill out this full you know, questionnaire, etc. Then they have to get their temperature check done and all this other stuff before they walk through the door. And then the app that we were using was basically a lot of the same things like this, 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 how do you feel here, yeah. you know? Yeah. And, and I thought that was great. Like, I think from a load management perspective, it was great because it was indicating to us when players may need more rest. I think that was the biggest thing. And, and as a coach, I've definitely changed in that respect, like listening to the players more about their bodies and, and using that load management app to, to, to check that. Mm. Um, but now you add COVID into the mix and, there's this other level of <laughs> issues that can crop up that we have to deal with too. Um, and so it's, it's been very difficult from a conditioning standpoint. Um, so far we've only been, we've actually only been working out for three weeks, but um, we haven't been able to do what traditionally we could do because they had this massive gap where we were not watching them so our strength coach was giving them a home program to do but some didn't have access to a weight room sure, yeah. so we're, we're kind of all these different levels now with the players in terms of their conditioning and their strength and kind of trying to get them back in sync again it's been really hard because it's a different challenge that we've never had to face in that respect so yeah just um, if we didn't have COVID and this was a regular basketball season talk talk to me about what a typical week looks like. Um, what's your normal game days like? I'm assuming what Friday, Saturday. So in conference, it's Wednesday and Saturday. Wednesday, Saturday. Okay. So what would be a, a typical practice week? That's a really hard split. Wednesday, Saturday. What are you? What are you doing in season? Um, Sunday is a is a is a day off or just a what yeah. what uh, recovery day? What, are you yeah. actually doing anything on that day or is it completely a day off? Usually a day off. Um, we have, uh, which I'm sure a lot of teams use, like Fast Scout app and Fast Draw app, and they, the players get the next scout that they can read over so that they do that on their own time on a Sunday. Um, but we usually give them that day off. Roll stretch, etc. but they don't do any activity on that Sunday. We try and have a complete day off um where we can with that um but yeah we pra we practice on a monday and, and a tuesday before the game 
um, on the Wednesday. So, uh, so Monday, I'm assuming full contact, you know, like pretty high intensity and then yeah. tapering it on Tuesday pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, Tuesday, Tuesday's more of like a review of the scout and then we'll probably do a lot more on the Tuesday of game shots that we're going to get in that game. Like if it's a zone team, we'll work on, you know, whatever we're doing there. Um, and I'm a shorter practice basically um, to permit them. Can you, can you develop scout teams with these, with this Wednesday, Saturday, can you, or is it pretty um, hard? It's hard. <laughs> yeah. We had, this year we're not allowed to with COVID, but last year and the year before we had guys that would come in um, as our scout, or their scout team. Awesome. Um, and, but trying to get guys that are not full-time basketball players to yeah. run, <laughs> Yeah, okay. It's hard. We have one guy. One guy who thought he was Steph Curry, and every time he caught the ball, he would shoot it. Um, and, and actually, he was a pretty good shooter. But like getting him to run anything was just sure. never yeah. going to happen. So, Crazy. but I mean, it's kind of good having. It was good having them because we had a couple of good athletes in there that you know the girls really had to get on on the glass, and and that was good. But um, it's hard, you know, the quick turnaround and and kind of so. Sometimes, not all the time, but I'll use our staff sometimes if they're, you know, if someone's running a complicated offense, we'll have our staff jump in um, and run it in the half court to talk about our coverages and things, you know, and, um, but I mean, really, we, we've kind of switched our, our focus on scouts to ourselves, you know, and, you know, ball screen coverage, you know, we're trying to kind of standardize how we do things so that we, Absolutely. you know, yeah. and, and focus on us. And that way there's less worrying about what the other team do and more on what we do. And I think that's something that, you know, we've, we've kind of changed again. I've changed that a lot because I, I used to be. I certainly, yeah. I certainly last year, you know, when I was coaching 60 games, you know, the, um, in a season there, there's no question that, um, right. you have to have base defense for, you know, single side, you know, whatever action step ups, whatever you, whatever you, you're going to see, I I tried to develop base defense, and then if there was a really good player or good couple of players, then we yeah. would have an individual scout for certain things that would happen. So I think that that's really important. So on a Wednesday, you play. Let's mm -hmm. just take this for example. You play on a Wednesday. Um, what are you What are you doing pre-game in the meeting? Are you heavy with video um or just going over main game points you know rah rah and then out or what, what's your what's your process so we usually have a shoot around um that morning if we right. play on a Wednesday night and um again that's kind of shifted it used to be about let's go over covering their offense blah 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 um and it's more so um what are we going to do like if we're running you know our horns action you know where we're running our flare action off of that like what are we really having to focus on we know they're going to go under so maybe our point guard needs to work on getting that shot up a little bit quicker you know whatever it is um, and and we kind of focus on that a little bit more um, and then we'll watch the scout again so you know i mean they've got it they've they can watch it 100 times if they want on their app but and um, we usually like watch that and then have our pre-game meal um you know, and then we're into kind of, they go, they usually go back and some of them take a nap, some go and get shots up and then they come back out for, you know, warm ups later on. So. And then pregame in the locker room, you yourself, 
what are you what are you stressing there? Just um, game, you know, keys to the game, uh, key matchups. So it's really interesting that you bring that up because uh, when I first got here, I was absolutely shocked at the pregame rituals in college basketball for for coaches. Um, and I used as an assistant I was always like what are they doing like this doesn't make any sense at all from a sports science perspective so the teams would come out they'd be on the floor you know an hour and a half before and you know which I immediately was like nope okay for this age level and things that shouldn't happen but anyway so they'd come out and then they'd go in the locker room with like an hour to go they'd come back out some teams would go in again for like 15 minutes after they'd warmed up and stretched and you know they're sitting in that locker room for 15 minutes getting cold again. So muscle fibers are just slowing down and, you know. And I was thinking, like, what is going on? And then I would never, ever see head coaches at all in the warm-ups. They would come out one minute, two minutes before the game starts. And I always used to think, like, what are they doing? Like, what are, you know, I, I couldn't understand that because coming from overseas, you're on the floor most of the time and you're talking to your players, you're, you know, talking – you know, I like to see who the other team have out there warming up and, you know, all that stuff. So for my first game, uh, you know, as a head coach, I remember I was out on the floor and we, we don't go out. We don't start our official war- game warm-up. The players can get shots up and things, you know, and get loose. But we, the way we do it is we have our, our game chat, I guess you can call it, at like 55 minutes. And um, we're in there for about eight to ten minutes. They're back on the floor um, and they're out there for 45 to 50 minutes total, but that they'll do their stretch, which takes about 12 minutes with our trainer, and she stretches them fully after they're warm. Um, so we're and we don't go back in the locker room after that. Wow. Okay. Interesting. So, really good. Um, now I'm in the locker room. I stay in the locker room after they come out, and usually I'll do radio um, for our radio station, and then I usually try and come on the floor with about some sometimes 20 minutes, sometimes 15 minutes to go. Um, because I like to have those conversations with our players, you know, like, it, you know, our, if our point guards, if I'm just want to reiterate things with them, um, but we don't go back in as a full team. And then, you know, we have our, at three minutes, we come in and we have our starters sit down and we, all right, this is what we're doing. First play, remember, blah, blah, blah. And then that's it. Um, and I guess that I've changed with that as well, because before I would have had a lot more content and a lot more of those conversations. And I've learned that, it goes in one ear and out the other a lot of the time. So yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the less you say, sometimes the better. So half time, yeah. half time talk. Yeah. So normally uh, the players go in, and I like to have the players have a conversation. Um, and so on on the whiteboard, there's two sections for them, um, positives and things they have to do better. And so um, as a staff, we'll meet. Um, you know, we look at our stat sheets, etc. We have a conversation, and then usually I have three things in terms of adjustments. I try not to go over three. Um, Good stuff. And um, so then I'll go back in and look at the first thing I do is look at what the players have written on the board and ask them, okay, what? Okay, why where, did you write did, this, Coach? Where did you learn that? Where did you learn that? I don't think I did. I think it's just something we came up. I really think it was just the you know, talking to the players and I've, I've, I've heard, I've heard of it. I've never seen it. I've never yeah. seen it in men's professional basketball. I would, I'm not sure I would ever do it, 
but uh, <laughs> that's a uh, that's a great. I love it. From uh, I really want to make that a big point um, as a, a today because that's a that's a great teaching point. Uh, a lot of a lot of coaches like Coach Alan Keane's been doing a lot of that type of stuff. You know, empowering the uh, the the athlete. I'm against fully not fully against the process and the principles i'm fully right. against i'm against some of that a pro level because i believe right. that a pro level when you start getting players each believing they've got the right answer you can really uh -huh. get indecisiveness you know out there on the floor and yeah. i believe that you know you can deal with that in a in a different way at a different time but i yeah. love what you're doing there that's really really good really yeah. really good I think as a player, I wish I'd had the opportunity a little bit more to, because it's different when you're on the floor, right? Like I might think that the ball screen coverage we're having a problem with and a player may say, well, coach, you know, like, you know, we, we, we talk to our guards all the time about flattening up um, the lane lines. Like if we're going under ball screens in the middle of the floor, we got to flatten up better because we yeah. open our hips too much. And sometimes the players will say, well, coach, like, that watch that screen like she's moving and and as a coach you're like oh, crap, that's your excuse you know like <laughs> but then the first possession you watch and the post player is kind of moving into and that's why she's getting hit on the screen and so i do want to listen to them as much as i can and i think when you again like you recruit the type of player that you know you can trust that they're you know they're going to have that opinion um and I think it's worked because it gives the group the opportunity to say something. And then we ask them that before we go into our three things. And a lot of the time, the three things that we've, you know, I, I'll talk about, we've got to focus on or we've got to adjust or whatever, are covered in their notes anyway, you know, in some way, maybe not as much detail. Sometimes they miss out the detail, but, you know, they kind of get it. And, and, and I think it's like, okay, yeah, that has to be our focus in the second half. And um, I, I, I've liked it. We've only done it for about three years, but I think it's been it's been really good for them. It makes them feel like we're listening to them, you know. And then post game, um, short post game, or you know, how, how's you know what what's the process there? I don't I don't go in the locker room after a game. Wow. Um, right. Again, that's 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 something I've changed. Um, I think I did a really bad job my first year of being a head coach here of letting my emotions get to me. And we had a pretty good year that first year, but I think that on the games that we didn't play well, and I, there, I said some things I shouldn't have said, I was very negative. Um, and on reflection, I knew that I couldn't keep doing that because I knew that, um, and again, that was a couple of players who were telling me that that's how they felt. And, and, and not from a, oh, coach is yelling at me or coach is mad at me. Just like, look, we understand you feel like that, but maybe, you know, it's not the right time. And and after kind of talking to, and those were senior players that, you know, I, and I just thought they're right. Like I shouldn't be letting my emotions um, get the better of me after games. And so what I usually do at home games anyway is um, they go, they they stretch in the other in the back gym and with our trainer, and then they go in the locker room and change and things, and then they go. We always eat post game meal together now. Right. And so I'll wait until we get into post-game meal because that gives me time to calm down and, you know, do radio and stuff and kind of get my thoughts together, talk to our staff a little bit and then go into post-game meal. Um, and when you, sometimes when you, I'll say things then. 
when are you um, like debriefing the game? Do you do that? Because your turnaround is so quick. So let's say we've had a Wednesday night game on the yeah. Thursday, uh, had the staff clipped and are you debriefing and looking at, you know, positive negatives or yeah. something that you've done well, something you haven't done well. Um, yeah. and, and, and then straight back into the, the practice process. What, what, what's, what, yeah. how do you do that? Yeah, usually it's clipped. And then for um, specific things on players, like we have an app called Teamworks that we use that we post um, on Teamworks that they can pick up their film. And so typically what will happen is um, the point guards will go and meet with Amber um, that Thursday if there's something specific that she wants to show them, you know, um, that we've talked about. And sometimes I'll say, hey, you know, like they've got to back up quicker on that on that high ball screen they're they're getting too hipped up or whatever and so she'll show them the clips and go over it with them and explain it so it's a lot more individual feedback on a thursday after a wednesday night game than it is to them anyway um than it is team wise and we make the adjustment with the staff team you know team adjustments um but the individual feedback will come from the, the coaches um directly to the players on the thursday about things that they need to focus on individually so Thursdays are what active recovery with some shooting, stretching. So typically, we'll, yeah, what we'll do on a Thursday is we'll we'll kind of cover the scout, but like half court, like slowly. How you know if if again, like if it's something specific they're running, we'll go through it and you know this is how we should be, you know, jumping to the ball a little bit more because of the way they're setting the screen or whatever. Um, and it, so it's not a ton of stuff, and then. Um, so we, we kind of covered that and then we'll talk about what are we running against their defense. So, and we don't, you know, at that point, you don't need to go through your own offense a ton of times, but there could be tweaks. So um, a couple of teams in our league play zone and, you know, they're, they're very different in how they play their zone. So, you know, we'll talk about, okay, instead of our back screen happening here, I want it to be a little bit lower and this is what we should be looking at. So just little tweaks more so on a Thursday and then Friday we get up and down a little bit, not too much in, and stuff um, and then we play on a Saturday again. That's that's amazing. So really and truthfully, um, you know, it's really hard to develop the individual athlete and he's and in even from a team perspective. So like you're saying, if you can't even get, you know, a lot of bodies onto the floor, I mean most of your real work has to be done in the summer in the preseason, I'm assuming. That's that's the that's what's gotta happen. Yeah, and we talked off before we started this, you know, like I'm, I'm a huge advocate for changing the whole calendar from the NCAA because, you know, to me, it's the wrong way around. Like the way it works right now, we're in eight hours a week, four of which is on the court and four is in the weight room. Um, to me, we should have more time now to do individuals with these kids because typically, normally we jump from eight hours to 20 hours a week once we um, start full practice. Um, but that makes no sense to me because we need all the, the individual work now and in the summer and we don't get it. It's, it's flip-flopped the wrong way. We actually should be tapering down when it comes to sure. season. Well, that is, it, it's crazy. I, I think it's one of those things that hasn't been changed and addressed, but I think COVID has kind of given us the opportunity to do that. And through the student athlete advisory committee, they've actually recommended that the student athletes have recommended that we go from eight to 12 to 20. So we have that bridging time in there. We increase yeah. a little bit to 12. And I like that idea. So um, we should find out tomorrow if that's been approved. And um, I would like that if that does get approved. Okay. Going 
taking a, a bit of a, a, a tangent here, um, what are your thoughts as really one of the highest level um, coaches in our game at this moment? I mean, what's your thoughts on on the British, you know, British coaching, on the coaching fraternity, also your own experiences? Because you were a national team coach. Um, I'm assuming that you have had some some kind of involvement with British basketball and there was some you know kind of correspondence with you to try to bring you within the programs. I mean, you know, are you are you actively, you know, involved basketball Scotland? I mean, that's a lot, that's a massive question. You know, just just give me your thoughts on that. I yes, to a lot of those things, yes. Uh I think early on, like I, I want to say it was like my first or second year. Um, when I was a head coach I was approached to kind of get involved with GB programs in the summer and I just didn't feel at that time that it was appropriate for me to be leaving for that length of time during the summer when I was trying to build this program and um, as a head coach I needed to be here you know and I needed to be recruiting in the states um, in Texas particularly and missing that whole AAU summer I just didn't think it was right for me I wanted to do it but I just I couldn't, and I had to put my full-time job first. It's definitely something I would love to do um, if it worked out where it wasn't going to affect this program. But I have to obviously put this first and foremost every time. And I just didn't think that as a head coach, it's something. Now, if my assistant coaches were given the opportunity to do it, I would completely encourage them to do it. And I think, and this is something I've said, I think that the British basketball model um, is does a better job of preparing people to be head coaches than a lot of people give it credit for. Um, because, you know, it's a very different seat to sit in 12 inches to my right as an assistant than it is to make that call 12 inches to your left, you know? Um, and as college assistant coaches, a lot of them have never, ever called a game. They've never, they've never had to make decisions. They've, a lot of them have come from being players straight out of college They've never had any formal type of coach education over here. Um, and I think the coach education process in the UK with UKCC, um, you know, a lot of people kind of say, well, it's not, not realistic enough, but it's something, right? It's something mm -hmm. that's preparing you and trying to develop you as a coach and not throwing you in no. without any kind of formal training. And, I, and I, I was lucky I obviously got to do all that and tutored and you know was involved in that that side of things and I think that really helped me um as a head coach over here um but I like that that you know process and I, I was really pleased to see the other day that um Basketball England have got a new um female coaches group and um, where they're putting um an emphasis on the female coaches and trying to get elite female coaches together to develop them and I think that's really huge because when I was doing national teams, I got involved in the national teams because there were no females to coach the women's team. I mean, that's, that's sad, you know, that yeah. the only reason I was asked was because they needed a female on staff. And, you know, I mean, I, I think sadly that's still the case with a lot of our national programs. And, and I was delighted to see that Joe Leadham um, and Jen Leadham are going to be involved, um, you know, with the GB programs and, and, you know, they've had other females coaching the teams, Karen Burton, et cetera. Like, I think it's great that, you know, they've managed to do that. But I wish that... This week, this week, obviously, the news was that, you know, Vanessa Ellis has taken a job in Austria. 
um, which yeah. is uh, tremendous. You know, I you know great that uh, you know that she'll be the first. I believe she'll be the first uh, female to coach professionally in Europe, which is a big yeah. step forward, and you know shows yeah. real intent there as well. So, yeah, that's that's great. Um, do you do you see yourself? um you know in the future coming back to the uk you know some clinic type stuff uh have you been asked um you know any any thoughts on that it's not easy i, I you know you have such a, 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 a you know an incredible it's not just you know coaching the one season you know you've got a whole kind of you know university that you represent as a full-time job um but do you see can you see yourself coming back you know what what what's what's um, I've been asked a few times to do clinics and unfortunately it's really hard for us with all the re NCA restrictions um, on doing clinics. That's the hardest part of it, honestly. Um, the rules on, on being able to speak at other people's clinics are because of recruiting effectively because, you know, previously what happened was people would ask people to come do clinics and use it as a recruiting tool and, you know, so it is hard for us to do that. I would be very open to it. Um, if it was done within the rules um, obviously now with you know zoom being much more prevalent in our society um, it makes things a lot easier to have conversations i mean i you know i think it's been hard because i know basketball scotland has had its challenges just in changes in staffing etc and you know I do keep in touch with um, Bart Sangers, who's with the Caledonia Pride. Bart's I think one of my guys. Yeah, Shout out to Bart. You know, he's he's my guy. I, yeah. I believe in him a thousand percent. Used yeah. to go, used to go to watch his practices. Uh, you know, have coffee with him. He's one of the most interesting coaches that I know. Um, fantastic guy. He'll be a guest pretty soon as well. Okay. Well, um, so I like to stay in touch with him because he does it. I think he's very realistic and. You know his thoughts on where we're at as well with the the talent coming through um and you know i think it's been it's been hard like i mean i, I can say this and this is not in any way negative but you know we did get asked and i have you know myself and becca and then i have a another coaching colleague who neil harrow who's at troy as an assistant coach um and you know we were at we were approached i think it was like last september or something to kind of get involved with some um elite pathway programming and and it's literally the stage where once we're in season we can't do anything else like we are just full on and i felt bad saying i can't like i mean if you'd asked me three months ago or the end of our season i might have had more time but now it's like there's no way yeah. and i think people don't really understand till you're in it how much how time consuming recruiting is here it's non-stop it's 24 7 i mean last night my phone was dinging at like 10 30 we're watching the game you know and uh you know i'm getting the look like why is your phone going off during the game but it's i mean it's constant you know it's like i mean and that's how it that, is that's the one difference between you know pro coaching and, and college coaching you know you yeah. you have to um put the massive effort uh, emphasis on recruiting um that you know it's a i mean i what what would you give that as a split almost 70 30 60 40. well it's funny someone asked me the other day like you don't spend as they said like you don't spend as much time on x's and o's and on the floor as i would have thought and i said honestly i think that we probably only spend about 20 percent of our time wow. on the floor um, doing stuff and 
you know, we're, we're kind of higher academic school. So staying on top of academics for us is important, even as basketball coaches. And a lot of people that gets lost with a lot of people like, why, why are you worried about that as a basketball coach? And cause we have to be, and we want to make sure that our players are exceeding in the classroom as well as on the floor. And, um, you know, so we have academic teams within our staff as well. Um, and so there's a lot that goes into this that doesn't happen at the pro level, you know, and it's very different dealing with collegiate age female athletes. Sure. Um, I'm very lucky. Like I say, we've got eight internationals and I'll, I'll tell you that my international players are solo maintenance. It's fantastic. And uh, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll add some more if I can, but right. <laughs> yeah. so right. um, pre end of game questions. I'm going to take yeah. away the fourth, but free favorite player that you coached. Uh, always put everyone on the spot. Yeah, it, it's tough, right? Because for different reasons, I think I had favorites in different ways, but I think overall the GB team in 2012, um, Rose played for me. She played at club at city of Edinburgh for me. She played with the national team under 16 and under 18 with me. Uh, she scored the win in basket um, at the Europeans when we won our first Europeans. She made a layup on the buzzer to win the, you know, that for us. Um, she, I'm so proud of her for what she's overcome in her life. And like basketball basically gave her, you know, an opportunity and she took it. And, um, you know, she's living in Oklahoma now. Um, they, when we played at Oklahoma State last year, she brought her little boy and sat behind the bench and we, we played at ORU as well. And she brought him and, you know, they were sat cheering for us behind the bench. And right. um, like, I just, I'm so proud of her and I loved her competitive drive. Like she was a pain in my butt and, and she knows that. And um, she was definitely challenging and she challenged me as a coach because she was very feisty. But in terms of a competitor and someone that, you know, just went hard all the time. And, um, you know, she was, yeah. I mean, I would, if I had to pick a favorite, that would it would be Rose. Okay. Favorite all-time basketball coach? That one's pretty easy for me. I'm kind of, I've got a very soft spot for Pops. Uh, I, I, I just love, you know, the relationship part of coaching for me is so important. And I, I respect the way that he deals with his players so much. Um, you know, and I, and I was, I've been lucky that, you know, I've been able to kind of interact with several of them and, and talk about, you know, their relationship with him. And, um, I think it's, you know, I, I just think the respect that he has, not just from players that he's coached, but from other players says so much about him. Yeah. Um, and I love how he develops coaches. You know, you look at his coaching tree and, um, he just puts them into, just the positions to succeed and, and I'm a big fan of him. Awesome. Go to saying or statement on a daily basis, weekly basis. <laughs> I don't know if I can say that on <laughs> Um, I don't know. I mean, I get, I don't know, actually, that's a tough one. Um, you if, you'd a ask, if you ask my players back home, yeah. They, they, would, they would have been able to answer that. They they would say, "Get to the baseline." That would be. <laughs> they would tell. They would tell you that was my all time used one. Yeah. Um, but know? now I think honestly, if I was answering that for right now, it would be read the defense. Like I say that more than I say 
anything else. Okay, awesome. Um, read the really yeah, like it. I, I just want a quick little story. You know, I bet I can bet you know of all the players that Nick Nurse has coached, you know, throughout his professional career in the UK and in some of those other stops before he got to the NBA. Um, you know, he was always toes to the line, toes to the line. He used to have them on that baseline. And, uh, you know, that's what a lot of those players will remember. So it's, it's, yeah. it's, not, as, it's not as crazy as it sounds. So. No, no, but yeah. they, I know my Scottish players, would, that was what they would, they would say, get on the baseline. That'd be the thing, yeah. yeah. So. I, I, doubt, I doubt he's doing that in Toronto at this moment, but you, you never know, know. I'll, I'll find that out sometime. Yeah. Coach. Lisa, we could go forever, um, you know, talking, you know, about in, in so many different directions. But, um, you know, firstly, I want to say thank you for your time because you're extremely busy coaching at this highest, the highest level. And secondly, you know, I'm pretty certain I'm going to have you on again because, you know, you've got such a huge, you know, uh, journey to continue in your career. Um, but I really appreciate um, this time to, for for you to become to come on a pick and pop podcast. Yeah, well, I appreciate it as well. And I, you know, I just want to finish by saying that, you know, I I really really feel so lucky to be in the position that I am. And I know there's a lot of great coaches in the UK that um, I wish had the same opportunities that I did. And if there's anything that you know I can ever do to try and help those people they can reach out to me at any point you know because I've been lucky to, to have these opportunities so I'm always happy to try and give advice or help um, to people if, if they need it. Coach thank you very much indeed. Thanks Tony. Thanks for listening to another episode of Time Out. You can now find all of our episodes on iTunes and Spotify so please like subscribe and let us know who you'd like to hear from in a future episode.